Sports Ethos New York Nick Podcast, Andre Gallagher. Oh, the Knicks have a test, supposedly, tonight. It's a test against the Mavericks. No Luka Don, Doncic tonight. The Knicks should win the game. If Luka played, it apparently it would have been a test. I thought the Knicks took a test in Philadelphia. And they passed it. So why? Did, how many tests are they going to get? Every good team is a test? What kind of nonsense is this? Can we stop this nonsense? The object is to win games. Object, there's no, there's no test in the regular season that says that you're going to advance in the postseason. That's not a real thing. A good game, you want to see how guys match up? Sure, sure. There is no test in the regular season because every time the team passes the test, it doesn't matter anymore. No one is talking about the Philadelphia game anymore because if they lose to Dallas with a Doncic, let's say they lost by 20, they failed the test. Oh, they're not as good as we thought they were. But what happened? Philly don't count? That's not, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. Stop. The point, and now that Doncic isn't playing, this idea that, oh, everybody wanted to see OG match up with Doncic. Okay, have you never seen, uh, you can go find OG match up with Doncic in previous years. Is this the first time they're playing? No. What is this What is this universe that you guys are in where it only matters because he's with the Knicks? If you want to see them match up, you can go see him match up. All right? You can go look at, listen, I'm not, if, if you're rooting for the Knicks, just win the game, man. Just win the game. What are you hoping to learn from an OG Doncic matchup? Let's go. Here. Let's say he scores 45. OG doesn't, it doesn't play defense anymore. It doesn't matter. We've seen Luka light up Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. In a playoff series. You're going to get bent out of shape because of a game in January? You guys. Too much prisoner of the moment stuff. Just win the game. Doncic, no Doncic, win the game. Now that he's not playing, it's a game the Knicks really have to win, especially after the debacle in Dallas last year. Every Knicks fan who saw it, they they know where they were when it happened. They know where they were when it happened. It was a debacle. They got some bad calls, but it was still a debacle. Jalen Brunson didn't play that game. R.J. Barrett got hurt in that game. R.J. Barrett was actually playing well before that. He was having one of those spells where he played well, just like he's having in Toronto right now. Why is he hitting threes all of a sudden? I don't care what you... Oh, he's playing shooting guard. That's why he's playing well. Oh, okay, man. (laughs) If you say so. But why is he shooting well? I, that's all I want to know. What's the difference between an open shot there and an open shot here? It's coming from the paint. It's not coming from the perimeters. It's coming from the paint. Whatever. He's still, I think he's a, a plus eight or plus nine as a Raptor, which is really good for, for RJ. It's really good. Coming up to... Minus seasons with the Knicks and uh, a minus season this year with the Knicks being a plus eight with Toronto is really, really good for him. And I hope he has continued success. IQ's playing really, really well as well. He's not shooting that great from the field. He's shooting well from three, but he's not shooting that well from the field, honestly. 
but keep doing it. IQ, you know, IQ is a favorite of the Knicks. IQ wrote a little letter to the Knicks today. I don't get hung up on that stuff, so you can go read it if you want. It's, it's available. Good luck to him. He's a good kid. Has a good family. He's always been a stand-up guy. Seems like everybody on the team liked him. Uh, that said, the players that are here need to win this game tonight. Just like every game in front of them, that's winnable. They need to win it. Win this game. With no Luka, win this game. They're going to look different. Kyrie's going to go nuts. Remember when Kyrie was the only one left in, in New Jersey one time? Well, they're not New Jersey. Brooklyn, and he was able to beat the Knicks by himself. Came back late in the game. Uh, Kyrie is a really, really tough guard, and you turn him loose, and it's just like it's lights out. He's a little too quick for even an OG and an OB, if you ask me. That's a guy that, you know, you're going to have to get the ball out of his hands and make somebody else make a play. And Tim Hardaway Jr. always has a bone to pick with the Knicks, always wants to play well. He always plays with fire and desire, doesn't always pay off. Well, that's one thing I liked about Tim Hardaway Jr. Win the game, though. Win the game. I mentioned uh, Brendan Malone. He was on with uh, Ian Begley and CP the franchise on Ian Begley's show to put back. I mentioned uh, him earlier, and I want to mention him again because I thought he did a really, really good job. They all did, but I thought he did a really good job at at kind of not, not fanboying the Knicks and how they're playing and actually digging into the numbers. And one of the things that he pointed out was the second unit's numbers uh, look decent because of the the blowouts. But in a couple of the games, they, you know, there were some doldrums in that second unit. And that's something that I kind of picked up on too and was kind of burying it, you know, mentally, just not really focusing on it. But it was still true. The second unit was still having some trouble troubles uh, finding direction. Now, you know, the second unit has also gone through a lot of changes, and that's one thing he didn't mention. Every game, it's been a little bit different in how the lineup looked. So it's hard to look at the numbers uh, cumulatively because, you know, they're, they've are they been different. The, the lineup has been different every game. So you really have to break the lineups down, and when you break the lineups down, you start running into blowout situations where the numbers get skewed in that way. So it, it's kind of a, a janky thing that needs more of a sample size. So, my concern with the second unit, obviously, you know, they need a little offensive production and offensive creation and leadership, right, in that second unit. I have a few concerns with the way the team is currently constructed, and I'll tell you why I'm getting into it. Schematically, in that second unit, they do a few things that I don't like. They started off by letting Randall run the show in the second unit, and that's a disaster. Randall needs an adult in the room. And if there's no adult around with that second unit that can manage the offense, then he looks real silly out there. And on Randall, on Randall, who's played very, very well in in, in total uh, since the first couple shaky weeks of the season, not shooting well from three is pretty much the only thing he's not doing well. And his defense has gotten a little bit better now that OG has been here. You've seen him move around a little bit more. He's been a little nonchalant with the ball. He's... I talked to you about how he looks really different in a really different mood out there than he had before. And now everybody kind of sees it. And you're seeing a lot of people mention how much freer he's playing right now. And you saw Stefan Bondi uh, bring up the fact that, you know, 
basically he brought up a few years ago when RJ was getting chants from the crowd, how Julius was getting jealous of him. That's his report. That's one thing that I always jive with. Bondi, it seems like he, he always finds like something negative in the positive, and it's like this. nobody else sees it but him. But uh, that sounds like fan stuff. That sounds like stuff that fans said. And maybe it's something that he believed, but he's a, a very, very established reporter and beat writer for the Knicks and had for a very, very long time. So you don't want to question the integrity of his report. But also, I don't know if that was a report or as much as it was an opinion, right? But it did seem to be... It, 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 I'm sorry for the stutter. <laughs> there seems to be a little something there now that RJ is gone. And I don't put it on IQ because IQ just didn't play enough minutes for it to be about IQ. And I've seen... I've seen uh, Julius go out of his way to, to make sure IQ is more aggressive offensively. So it's an RJ thing, and, and I'm telling you, there's something there. And But that being said, he his free spirit, you know, laughing and joking, nonchalant attitude has looked like it's resulted in a few turnovers that were unnecessary. Not being strong with the ball, not being decisive and mindful when the ball is in his hands. It seemed is I seen I seen it a lot, even in games where the Knicks have played well. I've seen it a lot. And it, what was the game where they gave the lead back? I think it was just the last. Was it the last game? It was a Bulls game. It was a Bulls game. They gave the lead back after you know smacking the Bulls around the first half a little bit. And Dante Divincenzo brought up the fact that you know they started screwing around. I knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about, he was talking about Julius. Julius started screwing around out there. And he did it the last game, too, against Portland. It doesn't seem like he just started screwing around a little bit. Even when the game wasn't, the lead wasn't that big. And I hate to be a nitpicker on Julius Randle, who's having an all-star season and should be, and again, being jerked in the all-star voting. But you need Julius, to, and Julius is from Dallas. You know he wants to have a good game. Every time Julius plays the Lakers, Dallas, New Orleans, he plays with a force and determination to have a good game. When he plays against former teammates like Cat, well, you know, Kentucky guys, I should say, like Cat, not a teammate, but a Kentucky guy, he wants to go at those guys. You can see it in the interactions in between plays. Uh, AD, obviously, with the Lakers and a former teammate. He always wants to go at these guys. So he always has something extra for his home team and his former teams, etc. And sometimes that can get in the way of what's best for the team. But a lot of times it doesn't, to be honest with you. He has plays very well. But he needs to be a little more serious in general. And when he's playing in that second unit, you can, the second unit can't afford him having the ball in his hands all the time and, and being that unserious with it. And trying to back people down from the three-point line, and they're like, "Stop, man! The ball move. Let the ball move. Let's go inside out. Let's let's keep the offensive flow going. Don't stop. Stop the nonsense." And then they kind of moved away from that, and you see now that they're giving Josh Hart run of the offense in, uh, in with the second unit. Now, I don't have a big problem with that. The problem is. 
I and you saw this from Portland, who had Josh Hart for Chauncey Billups had Josh Hart for a spell. When he penetrates, he elevates to look for the next pass, and it works out a lot. And it, but it's not going to work out when people start scouting that you do that. When Josh Hart wasn't getting those opportunities as much, he gets away with it. You know, he played his former coach. You could see how many defenders stayed home on his penetration. He left he left his feet and he looked around the court for someone to pass to, waiting for someone to move. No one moved and he turned the ball over. Right? So he needs to, that's a habit. It's probably not going to stop. If he's going to get the ball more with that second unit, he can't go to that every single time. It's going to work less and less, especially in the playoffs. He's going to have to start looking at the basket. And he's going to have to stop doing that so frequently. So it's not it's not a tendency that's so easily scouted. Because it's clear to me like Portland, Portland scouted that. Or I shouldn't say scouted it. They just knew it because they had it. So in that second unit, Hart not being uh, a dynamic player with the ball. He's a good playmaker. But the fact that he's not a dynamic player with the ball. When he doesn't make something happen in transition or secondary transition. Having him dominate the on-ball offensive creation of the second unit is going to get old against better teams. That's something that should be a tool in your toolbox and not necessarily something you go to all the time. One thing that they have stayed away from purposely is not going to Miles McBride as much on the high screen and roll. And I know why, because he's not a dynamic player off the high screen and roll. He's just not and he hasn't been. But you got to give him more opportunities. Don't have him out there and then not let him do those things that the point guard in your offense typically does. You want that ball to touch other people's hands and, and let them have opportunities? Great. But let him have his opportunity too. You've seen Grimes be more effective and, and offensive aggress- offensively aggressive which is something we've talked about all year. I'm still not in love with it. I'm glad he's shooting as well as he's shooting. He's playing, shooting very, very well. I still want to see him on the ball more. He still doesn't look as comfortable as I know him to. I know he can be on the ball. I think he should get some on-ball screen opportunities in that second unit. And obviously, if Dante is playing in that second unit, I want him to have his opportunities too. But he doesn't play with the second unit quite as much. And I think that's kind of a problem too. Because he's a guy that can create offense for people and make the right play, right? So, and not having Hartenstein with that second unit also hurts because he makes plays out of the high post every now and then. Uh, he can he brings a little bit more offense than Precious does, and not in terms of scoring the point, scoring the ball, but in, in how he creates it in other ways, whether it be via the pass, via the outlet pass, uh, the fact that. Guys have to guard him in certain areas of the floor and have to box him out in certain areas of the floor, opening other things up. Uh, just his basketball IQ and acumen out there helps the offense move, and Precious is still kind of lost out there, right? So the second unit right now is the Achilles heel for the team because you're very much counting on McBride being aggressive offensively for one, which doesn't seem to be a problem, and knocking his shot down. And he has said himself... I forget who had who reported this, but he said himself that he the more minutes he gets, the more comfortable he is shooting the ball. And that's true for a lot of the Knicks. That's been true for a lot of the Knicks. 
But if he's not creating the shot, then someone else has to create it. We talked about Josh. We talked about how Julius, if he's going to be out there, he has to do it in a different way, and he's doing it. I do have concerns about the second unit still. Now, last game, you saw OG play with the second unit, and you also saw OG getting the ball more. OG doesn't look all that comfortable handling the ball. He can attack in different spots. He's a conscientious passer, not necessarily a creative passer. He, you know, he makes the right pass. So he has to create a double team, and he'll make the right pass, which is good. But you, you're going to have to give him the ball in different spots of the floor to take advantage of it. And I think that's something they should explore for more reason than more reasons than one. Obviously, OG wanted more looks in Toronto, so he can't come here and have you know some of the games he had early on offensively with the Knicks. But you saw him break out last game, be more aggressive, and you saw the team looking for him. And you saw him start taking on the role of Dante DiVincenzo and Josh Hart where the ball finds him and he attacks the basket, attacks the closeout, something that Grimes has stopped doing early in the season. We talked about it. And in him doing that, it gives him opportunities and it gives him opportunities to create offense for other people, which he seems very comfortable doing. So personnel aside, I think the second unit can stand to, to get a little bit more schematic help and how they approach. If Julius is going to be out there, and I don't think Julius should be out there quite as much. These guys need their rest, frankly. I'm not the menace police, but I don't want to see these guys out here for 40 minutes a game just because you can't figure out how to get the second unit to to function better. I think in that second unit, you continue to let Josh do some work, especially in in transition and secondary transition. Let let McBride get some on-the-ball opportunities. Let Grimes get on the ball opportunities and let OG explore. Try to explore mismatches. Try to get guys to switch on to OG and then let let OG attack kind of the way Randall does in the high post. Or he can turn and face or what have you against a smaller player. If they switch, uh, I think, you know, if OG has some pet spots on the floor that he feels comfortable at, I think you need to explore those those spots for two or three possessions. And and between all of those things, you know, that's about 10 possessions where I think you can have a very discernible strategy offensively that might be a little bit better than what you're doing and might utilize the personnel a little bit better than what they've been doing. It doesn't mean Grimes not going to get his spot up jump shots because you're still going to get him. But when you're in the half court, try different things. And if they don't do that, what's going to happen is they're, they're going to be pushed to make a deal just to help the second unit. And that, to me, is scary for me because that means a team that's actually playing really, really well is about to insert someone in the rotation, which means likely that someone who's currently in the rotation who's contributing to the team playing well is not going to be there anymore. And the only person right now, to me, who's expendable at this very moment is Precious Achua. But if you bring somebody in to be a backup center, he's likely not going to be the central focus of a second unit. You know, so honestly, try these different things. And it seemed like they came into that Portland game with an, a renewed focus on OG's offense and getting him touches. So they used that time off well to get him involved. And I think hopefully if they follow that trend, they'll do that with the second unit as well. So that's one thing I'm looking for in this Dallas game outside of just winning at all costs. Obviously, Jalen Brunson has a revenge game for Dallas 
he missed that opportunity last year. And then when Dallas came to visit at the Garden, they blew the Knicks out. So you know Jalen Brunson wants to play well. We'll see how that goes. Right. So this this is a big it's a big game for the Knicks, just like because of all of the connections, but it's a big game because other teams in the conference are losing and the Knicks have a chance here. Right. So when we're talking about trades, big news came out with Mitchell Robinson, the Knicks being denied their disabled player exception, which means there's hope that he can return later on the season. He's gotta come off the bench. I don't care. He's got to come off the bench. I don't care. The backup center at the uh, in the bench spot is weak right now. Right, the pressures might turn the corner, but right now it's weak. If you can last until the rest of the season, they need a third center anyway. But that's Jericho Sims. I think they can use a small ball uh, center who can play play backup five and back and backup center in a pinch. Maybe that's Precious Achua. As a primary backup, he hasn't played well. Maybe he can turn the corner, but he hasn't played well so far. And if you if you're gonna fast, if you can just get away with it for the rest of the season with Jericho Sims, maybe Jericho Sims getting some minutes at that backup center spot too, seeing how that goes. If if it's really starting to hurt you, and just hold out until Mitch comes back, I think that's better for the Knicks. I think it might be better for them this season than to make a move for a center who's under contract past this year that might hamstring you from making another move in the offseason. You know, but we talked about trading Mitch. If he's not going to play, we talked about that. If he's not going to play, I see merits in trading him anyway, but I see with pressure that you would not necessarily distinguishing himself. I can see Mitch Robinson being a real, a real pain in the butt to have come off the bench for the Knicks. I wouldn't want him to start because the starting unit is playing very well, so why would you change it? I want I'd want to stagger Mitch and and uh Julius's minutes. Because you're seeing how much better Julius is playing at the front of the rim with no Mitch. You don't want to go backwards there. Don't let him play backup center where you have a hole. If they can just get away with it, man, if they can just get away with it without making a move with a guy who's under contract for another few years. I think it's best. And I also think this is how how the second unit plays is more important than just the wins and losses because I think it'll determine whether or not the, the apple cart is upset. Right? They will bring in someone to play McBride's spot if they can't figure out how to generate offense consistently in that second unit. And I don't really don't want that. Not unless it's a clear, clear upgrade. Because that means that he's probably going to play alongside Brunson if he's really that good, which means less Dante, which means less Josh Hart. And he's got to be better than those guys in all aspects. He has to do all the things that those guys do and more. And maybe that guy's out there, maybe he's not. I'd rather have McBride's defensive abilities out there than bringing somebody who might be a part-time defender or might cost you grimes to get, like in the case of DeJounte. A guy who's making $25 million for the next two seasons, like in the case of Malcolm Brogdon. 
Give McBride a chance. Give him a shot. He's been around for a long time. He knows what you're trying to do. Again, Brendan Malone made a, made a very good point that McBride is not as good defensively as people think he is because he's small. And listen, I don't mind you bringing in another insurance at point guard if you don't believe in Malachi. But don't let it be more than that. Don't bring in some somebody to upset the the balance of this team that's playing really, really well just to be marginally better in that second unit. You might be able to make changes on your own. Whoever you bring in, if he's if he's that much of an upgrade, you're gonna want one guy I didn't mention because he was, you know, he's been rumored as well, is Jordan Clarkson. Good offensive player. I just he's playing better defense, they say. Anybody you bring in that has to play the fourth quarter, he's got to play defense too. Don't bring in a guy who's a shaky defender. You have good playmaking guys, guys who make smart plays on both sides of the ball. You got a guy in Dante can hit the outside shot. You got a guy in Grimes get the outside shot. You got Hart out there who makes big plays. Don't bring, just bring in anybody. Don't just bring in anybody. Make a smart play here and and you're hearing rumors recently that the Knicks might actually do that. Be smart about it. They might not pursue a big name. They might just chill out. They're looking for guard help. I don't blame them. But I I don't know how you bring in guard help. Give McBride an extension. Have him play like 12 minutes a half. And have some good results in those 12 minutes. And then say, hey, we're going to bring in somebody else who's making $25 million for the next two years. Or, you know, whatever the case might be. What's the point in that? Now, you're going to trade Fournier's contract. So you might as well trade it for something that's going to help you. I don't blame you for that. If you can get Clarkson for Fournier and a couple second round picks or something like that, (laughs) then do it. But I doubt that's the case. You know, I doubt that's the case. You know, Clarkson has value around the league. He's only making $14 million in the last year's deal. All right, man. You want to you want to have an unhappy guy sitting on the bench because he doesn't rotate defensively <laughs> because he can because he can light it up up, but he's not playing enough to play to have that same rhythm and because he's a he's kind of a streak shooter. I guess. I guess. You know, but I I think if they have if they have a time frame on Mitch, if Mitch is going to be back a few weeks before the playoffs, then you don't need you can bring in Bismack Biombo who was just cut and be perfectly fine until the playoffs. So you could just start playing Jericho Sims again at center and see if you can get by with those minutes. But right now, Precious's minutes, even though he doesn't look good, they're not hurting the team. So live with Precious. Live with Precious. And I've been I've been beating the trade drum, not as much as others, but and a trade was made here. The team did improve so far. They are different. They are better. They look good. Don't mess it up. And, and you have an opportunity here to get better long term if the right player is available. And if he's not, chill. Just chill. That's why I'm not, depending on the cost, that's why I'm not totally against the Rosen. 
it's a little contradictory than that to, to everything I'm saying because it's going to upset the apple cart, no question, but it's not going to upset it long term. It gives you some punch in the playoffs when you might need it and McBride is not up for the task or, you know, you need more punch than Josh Hart's going to give you and Dante's going to give you and Grimes is going to give you because they might get a little scary out there. I'm I'm okay with DeRozan because he's is at the last year of his deal. Okay, so you can trade him. As far as I understand it, you can trade him at right up until the draft. And, and the next day, you know, the next day, that's he's a free agent, which is perfect for a team that's just trying to clear their books and making a trade for a guy that makes a lot of money and they don't want to take a lot of money back. Meanwhile, he might actually help you in the playoffs. So if you can get him, get him, depending on what's going to cost. But I think these next few weeks up until the trade deadline is a tryout for everybody. Who they go after is going to be determined by how these guys play in that second unit. And Tibbs can help them out on that front. But once again, huge game tonight. Not because of any tests, but because the teams in the Eastern Conference are all tied up around the same number. Halliburton is hurt, even though the Pacers just won, which is a credit to the Pacers. Teams are playing tough schedules. They're starting to get caught up on some of the players. The teams that the Knicks have played up, in, up until now. They're starting to get caught up on some of the road games the Knicks have played up until now. All of those people who said the Knicks weren't a top four team after the OG trade, clowns. I don't care who it is. Clowns. The Knicks were had, had top four potential before the OG trade. How dare you say they can't be a top four team after? I already went on to this rant, but it's very important that the Knicks win games like tonight to shut those people up. Shut them up. You can get a, you can get past some of these teams. You can build a nice little cushion over this next month for the Knicks. And you can prevent the organization from making a mistake in the trade market by playing well. This is huge. This game is huge, and every game after it is huge. Every winnable game is huge for the Knicks. And every game can be, can be argued as winnable. But no Doncic. Let's go. Let's go. There aren't four teams in the conference who are clearly better than the Knicks. Anyone who's saying that, I'm going to be honest with you. They're not really paying attention. They think they're paying attention, but they're not. There's no reason why you can say you don't think the Knicks could be a top four team. I'll let you say that you don't think they could be a top three team and debate you on whether or not Philadelphia is that much better than the Knicks, but they are a good team. i listen to you. Okay, sure. Top four? You can't even tell me who that four team is. You get each and every one of the people who said that in a room, and they will tell you a different fourth team, which is nonsense. Nonsense. But the way the Knicks shut those people up are by winning games like tonight. Win it. Just win. Just win, Rock. Win this game. And then on to the next one. Go down there, put the work in. Pull this off. Play these games like playoff games. You play these next month of games with the intensity of a playoff game. You will figure it out every single night. Each and every one of them against that can be won. And the Knicks can, at the end of this month, by the trade deadline, can be the third seed. And is a little banged up right now. They could be the third seed. The third seed. And then you're getting into the witching hours. 
the dog days of the season trying to pull it out and, and, and maintain your seeding going into the playoffs. They got to capitalize. So instead of a test game, you got a test month for the Knicks right now. Because if they can if they can take care of their business, not play with their food the way Julius Randle said, they can really put themselves in a strong position in terms of seeding as opposed to being in the mix with all of the rest of these teams. And then maybe they nibble around the edges to supplement the roster instead of trying to make a big splash and, and, and really put make everything topsy-turvy. So let's go Knicks. At Sports Ethos on Twitter, at Ethos Knicks. Until next time. Oh.